0: as we look at our origin as we look at who we are as being created and of course the ramifications and the implications and the applications surrounding this i really hope today that our time together in the word is just kind of a starter that we will just begin to think about these things with with the plan and with the idea that well into the future we will consider applications. I'm going to give you a couple of those today, but I hope that that list will grow very long in your journey, that you'll think about applications well beyond our time together today. There's a humorous story that may get us started well this morning about origins and where we came from and who we are. The story is told about a little girl and a mother who were having a conversation, the The daughter asks her mother how the human race got started, and her mother explained how God created Adam and Eve, and they had children, and on and on, of course, until here we are today. A few days later, she asked her father the same question, and he explained that how many years ago there were monkeys, and little by little, they became more like people, and now here we are today. So confused, of course, the daughter went back to her mother, mom, you said that God created people. Dad said that we came from monkeys. How can that be? The mother said, oh, honey, that is very easy. I told you about my side of the family and dad told you about his. As funny as that is, there are people, many people, alive today who are confused about who we are and where we came from. And the answer to those simple yet profound questions really dictate and determine a lot about the way a person thinks, about the decisions that they make, the way that they live. These are critical things to know and to apply to our lives. The biblical teaching of divine creation comes with some very important implications, and we draw some profound conclusions from these implications. I just kind of want to highlight some of those things for you today, and then get into our teaching time in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But as we look at the biblical record, we, we go back to the beginning of Genesis, and we see that in the beginning it says that God created the heavens and the earth, and it attributes the origin of everything that we know to God. It begins with the narrative about special creation, where God forms some things out of the dust of the ground, including humanity. And then he speaks other things into existence. That special act of creation, creating these things literally out of nothing, the scriptures teach us. It didn't exist before God made it. And it certainly didn't come into being accidentally or on its own volition. There was divine creation what does this mean to us and why is it so critical that we study it together today well it's important because as a result humanity owes its worship to their creator god everyone owes that worship some will realize this and some will exercise their responsibility of faith in the finished crosswork of jesus that we that we Uh, symbolized and that we remembered this morning in our partaking of the the bread and the juice and some will come into relationship with their creator god through jesus by trusting in his sacrifice on the cross to pay the price of their sin and they will get it at least for a moment They will see the need for worshiping their creator, God, not just when they gather with the church, but through their whole life to see their life as one decision and thought and and action and word after another that pays tribute to their creator by glorifying him. Those who don't get that never really accomplish this, do they? The sad thing is, is when God's people forget that this is the way it's supposed to be. We take ownership back. We decide that we're going to elevate something or someone else to God's place in our life because we believe that that's where we're going to find the satisfaction and the fulfillment that we are craving. And so in that sense then, we have erected an idol. But when you remember where you came from and who you are from God's perspective, idolatry makes no sense at all. It doesn't make any sense to worship or pay tribute to someone else. Why would we do that? How could we ever get to the point where that was an acceptable thought process and way to live? Makes no sense at all for the believer, does it? Not only do we owe our worship to our God because he is our creator and has provided for us a savior, we're accountable to him too, aren't we? And I think this is the thing with which so many struggle today and what keeps people from buying in to the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and following. Because if people consent to the teaching of scripture, as found in Genesis about origins, then they are consenting that there is a higher power, a higher being that they are under, to whom they are accountable. And I think that wrestling with that and being incapable of buying into that and believing that is what fuels the fire of the false belief system based on humanism and evolution. Because it gives man a way out. You don't have to submit to God. In fact, you don't even have to admit there is a God if you don't believe in a creator God. You don't have to submit to that God. You don't have to be accountable to that God. But if we buy into this, and we believe what the Bible teaches about who we are, where we came from, by implication, we are saying there's someone to whom We are accountable, someone much wiser, someone who is really in control. It's an admission that we are not. The other thing is this, that as we believe this and apply this, we are also consenting that humanity is not God. There is something higher above us, namely God, the creator of the universe. We are not God and we do not become God. We don't ever supplant this eternal sovereign being. Yet, how many millions of people alive today are living for a time in the future when they think they will become God or gods? Created beings by nature and definition are finite, therefore eternally disqualifying them from ever being God. So, these beliefs that we find rooted in these narrative chapters in the book of Genesis are critical and important to understanding who we are and to understanding our role in the created universe. So this series of messages on who are we begins this morning with this answer, that we originate from a special act of creation by God. And I just want to talk through these things. I want to remind us all of these foundational truths, because we are living in a time when even these basic, elemental, foundational truths are under attack. Worldwide, but especially here in our country. And we're going to be faced, I think, in the future, maybe maybe coming more quickly than any of us want to think, about what are we going to do? What are we going to do with what we believe about the way God made us? What are we going to do with that? Will we anchor to the clear teaching of Scripture as we've understood it for our entire existence and journey with Jesus? Or will culture pressure us into changing or morphing or tweaking our position so that we are more palatable, more acceptable, and more popular in the culture and to the culture? Or maybe it's really going to get to the point that we have to do that in order to avoid forms of intense persecution. Would you forfeit your your belief on origins? As far as who made you and how God made you and what that means to escape persecution, would you, would you forfeit that and then have to accept everything that comes as a result? Is that, is that acceptable to you? If it is, you will find yourself having to buy into a lot of other things that are becoming more and more popular in our culture today that are gross violations of biblical teaching and that are strong evidences of the worst kind of depravity possible, according to Romans chapter 1, which seems to be a descent into the bottom of the pit. You read and study that and see where you come and where you stand in regard to that. So I just want to point out to you some things this morning, and I want to walk us through the study that God's special act of creating humanity does some things or teaches us some things. And the first thing that, that I want us to see this morning is that this special act of, of creation by our creator involves a specific design that clearly communicates God's purpose. God, as he gave us this narrative, was was, was communicating something to us about the purpose that we have in him and for him. What is the purpose? Don't you like knowing that? Don't you like knowing purpose and having purpose in life? And and let me just say something to you that the very best place that you can find that purpose is in God's self-revelation. Don't buy into what someone else is saying or what other people are saying in your life or what you are thinking concerning culture to find your purpose. God gives us purpose in Him and through Him just by the way that He has created us. And we see that being clearly communicated in Scripture. I want to draw your attention back to the first chapter of Genesis to to look at this. We go to chapter 1. From the very way that we were made, God assigns to us some purpose. It says very clearly in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So part of my purpose for existing is found in who I am, and this involves gender assignment. God made me who I am with my gender. that gets assigned to me what's happening today? Well people don't want to accept that do they? They want to change their gender and and then they want to live life as if they were that other gender. that causes a lot of a lot of... Consternation. It causes a lot of unrest. It causes a lot of, of other things in our culture. We're, we're seeing it especially in the debate of college athletics, aren't we? Where people want to change their genders and then they want to compete accordingly. And it's causing a lot of disturbance. The fact is, we don't get to choose our gender, it's assigned to us. It's assigned to us. And I want to remind you of something. I want you to go to verse 31 in Genesis chapter 1. You may be here today and you might be struggling with this. I I don't know. Maybe maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I have these feelings. I I feel this way. I'm not content in the body that God has given me. And so I want to change things. Maybe that's a, a debate that's going on in your mind. It very well could be. You're loved in this place as you work through that challenge and that struggle. You you will have everything you need spiritually here as you go through that struggle. But what we want to communicate to you today and ongoing is what God says about your struggle. And I hope that as we are seated here today and looking into the word of God, that we will all buy in to what God has to say. It's not me talking I don't hate you if you're having this challenge and wrestling with this in your mind because of feelings that you have, because of emotions that you have, or maybe things that you've been told by others. I I don't hate you for that. I I love you, and and God loves you too. And I just want to invite you into this discussion and, and reveal and to show you clearly from Scripture what God has to say. And what does God say about the gender that he assigned to you? What does he say? Would you go to the end of chapter 1 to verse 31? What, what does God say here? God saw all. That's, that's a pretty comprehensive term, isn't it? Would you agree? God saw all that he had made. And what did he see all that he had made as being? Say it with me, church. Two words. Very good. And in the evening... And in the morning, and that was the sixth day, the final day of special creation. So God made man in his image, verse 26. Verse 27, it repeats that. And then it says, as a result of this, some were assigned to be male and others were assigned to be female. And then God caps that all off in verse 31 by saying, this was very good. If we decide because of external things and I say it this way because if you're honest there is no scientific evidence and there is no scientific research which has produced any empirical evidence at all that someone is born with, with this idea of, of being a different gender than what they were assigned by God. It's a choice that's made due to external circumstances and events that probably do produce internal struggles and internal challenges and internal uh, uh, wars and, and debates and everything else. But these are things that you can address. These are things that you can bring what God has to say to bear on, and these are things that you can certainly certainly see your way through to live the life that God has created you to live. To change these things or to desire to change these things and the function of both genders, to desire to change that, the way that God intended, is not something that we have as a gift from God. It's something that we have decided to believe or to buy into or to add in addition to what God has given to us. And there's no evidence otherwise. God said that when he made us in this way, specifically assigned these things in this way, that it was very good. To go against that then means what? What does it mean? God didn't know what he was doing and somehow God made a mistake. What does that do to the very reality and existence of God? Well, if it's true, which it isn't, but for the sake of argument, if it's true that God didn't know what he was doing when he assigned you your gender, and he didn't know what he was talking about, and he made a mistake, then he can't be God. He he just blew it. He can't be God. So everything, then, is in jeopardy. Everything. If he isn't God, so he didn't make a mistake. He didn't have a lapse in judgment when he assigned you your gender. In fact, as the eternal being and sovereign of the universe, he declares that everything he did involved in special creation was very good. The highest level of excellence that could be obtained. God said, That's what my creation is. It's very good. Now, what happens? Well, that all gets messed up, doesn't it? When we read further into the narrative, we come to the fall, and all of that gets messed up. And it's the depravity of man that leads us down the path of arguing with God about the way he made us and wanting to change the way he made us. But it doesn't mean there was anything wrong with the way God made us. Romans 1, again, shows us that downward spiral to the very depths of depravity. It's not God's fault. It's not God's plan. And it certainly isn't the way he made us. He made us very good. We decide things that are contrary to that because of external influences that certainly play on our depravity, for sure, which is internal. But God made us and assigned us the things that He gave to us, and it was very good. Gender assignments, one of those. The second one is, of course, procreation. What does He say in verse 28? Further defining us and further giving us a description who we are in His created order. He says, Be fruitful, multiply, increase in number, procreate. That's part of the original. Intent for his creation. You can't do that in a homosexual relationship, can you? No. It's against God's design for who we are. Right? Of course. So God made us, assigned us the gender that we are. It was very good. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't have a lapse in judgment. And remaining in that and embracing that for his glory is the way that we can fulfill and the only way that we can fulfill His command to us of being fruitful and multiply in the way that he intended. Procreation. And along with this identity is a third thing that he reveals to us. And that is, of course, this idea of roles. He made us with certain roles. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement, his completer his helpmeet, if you will and so man and woman as God made them have their, their roles in marriage, in coming together they have their roles in the family they have their roles in the church as well and God has given us the beginning of that here as he records for us the creation narrative so who are we? Well, we are beings who have been specially created by God, given our genders, given the charge to multiply, and assuming the roles that we have for His glory. When we become selfish and arrogant and proud about these things and wanting to have our own way with them, that's when they get all out of line That's when they become things that, rather than giving God glory, do Him dishonor. So, God creating us involves the specific design that clearly communicates God's purposes. Next of all, God creating us this way also distinguishes humanity from the rest of all that was created. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 tells us, here is the process of the creation of humanity. It doesn't say these exact things about anything else in God's creation. There is a distinction. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being or a living soul. So what do we learn from this? Well, We learn, first of all, something about our origination, don't we? In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it was a special act unrelated to the previous ones, not an evolutionary process. And it is prefaced with these words, then God said, verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, then God said, after all other things had been formed and created There was was a definite remark of distinction and transition to something different. And after all of that was done, God saw that it was good, the end of verse 25 in Genesis 1, then God said, something new is coming, something different and distinct is coming. He's announcing that. We see this in the formation, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. He he forms man out of the dust of the ground. He doesn't speak humans into existence. He takes great care in forming them, and they're shaping them out of the dust of the ground, not speaking them into existence. Different than the language that we find earlier in the creation narrative as he speaks other things into existence, but not human beings. The way that he animates them or gives them life is pointed out as well. He, he breathes into them the breath of life, into the, the very nostrils of humanity. God gives humans his breath, and they become animated. And then we have something about duration too, don't we? Man becomes a living soul. Not said about the other things which had life in the creation narratives, not at all. It's human beings who have this element of eternity in them. They have a living soul, a soul that will eventually need to be saved from the penalty of sin, that will live forever somewhere, heaven or hell, according to whether or not they exercise their responsibility of faith. But nonetheless, they will live forever because of the way they were created. We are distinct. We are different. God has made us in this way. I think he is showing us clearly that in this difference, we have dominion. And we're going to talk about that. It, it, it's, we're, we're living in an age where everything living is seen as being equal. And God says, no, there is a distinction. Now, that doesn't mean that we have a right to abuse lesser living things, especially in the animal kingdom. We, we don't want to be violent and abusive. But we do have dominion and we are ruling and those things have been given in time for food and other things to serve humanity, not the other way around. Again, your belief in origins and how God created everything, including yourself, determines in large part how you're going to live and what belief system you're going to buy into And that affects a lot of other things as well. There's a lot connected to this in our lives. The final thing I want to point out to you this morning is that this special act of creating humanity also establishes humanity in their place of prominence and dominion over all that was created. When God makes the statement in verse 26... Then God said, let us make man in our image. And then verse 27 affirms that reality. So God created man in his own image. He is establishing dominion. He is establishing humanity as his co-regents. You'll see that term if you read about this in theology. We as human beings are his co-regents regents we are not on the same level and plane as the animal kingdom or anything else in it we are over that by very position of how we were created and the responsibilities we were given when we were created so it's okay then to do what well the first responsibility that comes with this is ruling in verse 28 He says very carefully to them, rule over, subdue the earth, the scripture says in verse 28, the the original instructions that God gave to his created human beings. It speaks of ruling. It speaks of dominion. You are in charge of this. It is your stewardship that I'm giving to you. And in every choice that we make, We are to glorify God in how we rule and have dominion. As much as I believe that there's a distinction and that we're not the same as animals or anything else that God created, we're different and we have dominion, that dominion and that ruling is not a license to just do anything and everything that we want to with God's creation. It still belongs to Him. The way that we manage it the way that we steward it should be a reflection of who he is and should bring him glory. So while I would object to a lot of the modern day thought in regard to this and and how we're supposed to relate to the created universe, I would also say that there are those on the side of believing in dominion and believing in subduing the earth who use it as a license to do anything and everything that they want to do to God's creation. And I don't see that license being given to us in this. In fact, you see words that are quite different, that we're going to look at that. Involved in this is what? Consuming. It is okay to sustain life, to to do things with the creation that we have, to, to consume the natural resources that are here. There's nothing wrong with that. They have been given to us for that purpose. Verse 29 begins that discussion in the original narrative. God says, it's okay to take from what you see here and use it to sustain life. In fact, I'm giving you this stuff. This was pre-fall. After the fall, it becomes different. But pre-fall, the green plant was given for food. God said, it's okay to consume what I've created to sustain life. And as time goes on, that, that kind of broadens a bit. We're cutting down trees and we're building houses. I think that's okay. It's okay to sustain life with the things that God has created. Wasting it, needlessly destroying it, just for the fun of it? No, I think that's irresponsible stewardship. Again, it belongs to God, and he wants us to be responsible with the gifts that he's given to us. We can certainly enjoy it. We can certainly utilize it for our comfort and for sustaining our life. But in that, every decision that we make with the resources that God has given us should be done in a way that brings him glory and not just for our own desires and lusts. That's true about everything in life. It also involves something else, doesn't it? How about working? God defines that and lays that out here in in chapter 2 as well, doesn't he? The Lord God took the man, verse 15, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, and so on. Don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what's the point here? The point is, he was to work the garden. He was to, to, to in a sense, dress it and to care for it. And this involved a, a work ethic from the very beginning. While humans were living in a perfect environment, that was not an excuse for laziness. And God wanted them to develop a work ethic in the garden. And he tells Adam this, you work this garden. You work it. Now his work changes after the fall. It wasn't that work didn't exist before the fall. It did. But the work changes dramatically after the fall, doesn't it? Because of the curses. It changes. But there was work, apparently, before the fall. Much easier, probably, right? but nonetheless, there was work. And so Adam was called into this as a co-regent with God, that he would work and be fruitful and productive. Obviously, God wants us productive today as well. And then what's the fourth one? There is a protecting that's supposed to take place. Chapter 2 here in Genesis in verse 15, he says, Adam, you take care of this garden that I'm giving you. This is my created universe. You take care of it. You you tend it, some translations would say. You take good care of it. You nurture it. It's not yours to just do anything and everything that you want to with. You're my co-regent. You represent me in this created universe. Take care of it. Protect it. Make sure that, that it truly is what I have intended it to be and After the fall, that whole thing gets a lot harder than what it was in this moment. But you don't find that aspect disappearing. You don't find it disappearing. You just find it getting harder. It's a reminder, isn't it, that we need God, that we need Jesus. And it certainly causes us to be thankful for all that he is to us. So the special act of creation establishes humanity in their place of prominence and dominion. And I think that dominion looks this way, at least these four things. And so that brings us to the end this morning. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here. I hope this list grows. So what? You just taught us a bunch of theology. Now what, right? I hope you're not bored to tears. These things are foundational. I owe my existence to God. Did we think about that this week? Or have we bought into the humanism that's so prevalent around us that that our life is ours? And as long as our decisions don't negatively impact anyone else, we can pretty much do anything and everything that we want. No. We belong to God. In fact, not only that, but we owe our very existence to God as we believe in the history of origins as found in Scripture. I belong to Him. And every one of my thoughts and words and actions should be submissive to his will. The second thing I want us to consider by way of application is that my place in his created universe is a part of my stewardship and I am accountable to him. That should change us. That should shape and form every day that we live You see, what we believe about who we are as originating from a special act of creation by God has profound implications on our lives. It's why theology matters and why it's so important. And I hope that we'll never be tempted to trade in an emphasis on theology in our church, that we'll be interested in studying it, and that we'll see it as a strong basis for everything that we should think and say and do for the glory of God.